Lifecycle marketing is making sure that you reach out at the right moment to the right people with the right message. It's a very young kind of discipline, and I think it's going to evolve tremendously in the next few years. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. Our guest for today's episode is seasoned marketing consultant, Alyssa Verhoeven. Alyssa has extensive experience in helping companies improve their customer relationships and drive revenue growth. She is currently the senior CRM and lifecycle marketing consultant at Alyssa Limited, a consultancy firm that specializes in CRM strategy, implementation, and optimization. Prior to that, Alyssa helped with the marketing efforts at both Depop and Skyscanner. Welcome to the show, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. I am very excited for our conversation today, especially because I saw that Depop is somewhere in your experience. And I know that that must have been a very interesting experience. So I'm excited to dive into all the topics. But typically how I get started with these shows is first finding out a little bit more about your background and really what drew you to marketing and how you all got started in this whole crazy world that is customer retention management. It's always the same kind of story. I feel like people ending up in marketing have come from like all different walks of space. I had a very regular education. And then I found a first internship at Uber back in Brussels was incredibly interesting as you can imagine it was a quite a small office but you know they were overseeing all drivers was that the launch of their location there or what size was the company at that time at that time they had launched their driving business for a while they were just about to launch uber eats in brussels and it got to be like front stage and center for that and it was just exhilarating really the energy the fast-paced environments the very quick succession of problems and solutions to be found it was an incredible first experience that is really cool and so that was your first role within this whole industry. And then you were, where did you go after exactly. that? Exactly. And, you know, right off the bat, my then manager was like, hey, I've seen that you've done a bit of a HTML before. How about you recode me that series of emails? Which, you know, <laughs> sweet summer child, I had no idea what I was launching myself into. And I am so ashamed to this day of what people must have gotten in their inbox. I had no idea that you were supposed to go and check in boxes, you know, what it would look like and that different providers would have different output. And, you know, I had never heard about Outlook. But, you know, I've always kind of really been into the concept of emails. Like I used to send those very long circumvoluted emails to my dad and my mom when I was about 10. And I just like it. I like I like the post, good old letters, you know, I feel like I would have been a person with tons of pen pals in the time, in the days. And so, yeah, my career took me over to a very small startup that was very early stages after Uber. And that was also extremely interesting. Unfortunately, they didn't make the cut as a lot of startups do. And that's how I ended up moving to Scotland, really. I found a job at Skyscanner, which was, you know, a very big company back then. And I joined initially as a marketing manager, something very well-rounded, and got to work on emails and then got to join the CRM team, which was just starting out to be like a really global CRM team. And that's when I just moved to go in the deep end. Like at that point, I was done. <laughs> <laughs> 
And was Depop after that or before Skyscanner? So Depop was after Skyscanner. Depop was my first contract when I launched myself as a contractor. And it was just so good. I ended up signing, oh my God, I think I signed again for like six or seven contracts after that. It just That's crazy. Good for you. And I kept asking me to do other stuff, you know, and to look after different parts of the CRM and all that. So it just stayed on because it was so interesting. A very interesting path because also I'm sure something like Depop would have been so different from Skyscanner, so different from Uber. They're all so different, but kind of learning about the same thing in very different contexts, which is cool. It has been. Looking back, I'm kind of like, there was no chance I would end up doing anything but email marketing and push notifications and then ultimately life cycle. It was a skyscanner that the concept of life cycle sort of started emerging back then. And I just fell in love with that concept that you're here to build relationships with your audience, not on a, you know, we'll talk at you and hope that you'll buy from us, but we'll really genuinely try to connect where it matters and what it makes sense. And you know what? That's literally the whole point of the conversations that we're having on a podcast like this or what we do with Game Ball or why we care so much about these topics because things are changing. The industries are consistently changing and it's something that will never stay static at any point. And so it's such a change in the industries that are happening. So for you to be able to experience that, be a part of that from different contexts, different situations is probably so interesting and probably what I'm assuming led you to starting your own consulting firm which I'm also excited to hear more about. (laughs) Yes and no, I guess. So back when I started with my own business, what had happened is very much the world was in the middle of a pandemic and everything was changing. And the travel industry was severely impacted. And unfortunately, that meant that at Skyscanner, like in so many other instances, some people had to, you know, move on to the next adventures. And I was one of these people and I had a moment of, oh my God, what is going to happen to me? Like everybody would at that point, you know, I shopped around a little bit and I was like, okay, I had a few interviews and then ended up thinking that I should probably try and just strike out on my own. See, you know, if some people would be interested to not have me as a full-time employee, but rather to have me as a come in and fix things or come in and invent something and then just go away. And that's when the deep opportunity arose. And I joined initially with something I think I had to rebuild. They had a whole host of like different emails and and push notifications and touch points on their sellers kind of side. It was broken down back then into buyers and sellers as it's a multi-sites marketplace really. And I had to rebuild that sort of life cycle just so it would be more cohesive, if that makes sense. Like all the elements were there, but the idea was to, you know, reset it up properly and making sure that everything was taking account other notifications and that people would not be contacted twice and that sort of things. And that's how it started. Just kept going mission after mission. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And I feel like you probably learned a lot about the lifestyle marketing, the email marketing, obviously continuing to build that expertise that you have. But I know that you had mentioned that there's a new email design system that you're working on with your business right now. And I'm sure that gives you quite a unique competitive advantage. So Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about that because I'd love to know how that kind of ties into your overall like value prop of the business and how you differentiate yourself because obviously being a consulting firm is hard. You're always competing for new projects, things like that. So I'm sure having a new system like this that you're building yourself is probably very important and in addition to your value prop as a business. So the interesting bit is you mentioned earlier that it's quite 
an adventure to be there as, as things evolve. And the way we do things today is not the same way we used to do things five years ago, etc. And I think email design systems are a prime example of that. So emails have not really changed in the past 40 years. Like technology-wise, you have things like M for emails that has been developed by Google and the likes. But the fundamentals of it has not really changed. One thing that has not changed since the beginning is that it takes a ridiculous amount of time to build one single email. And there's loads of different solutions that have been created over time, right? You get things like Taxi on Email or Stripe, where you can go and build them and just export your HTML. Or you can have an email developer that comes in and just develops everything every single time. Or you could have templates that you use and you reuse, and then you end up being a little bit stuck with the content of the emails themselves, right? It's like you have boxes that you need to fill every single time that you send an email. And at the end of the day, you have an audience that just gets tired of whatever they receive because it's always kind of the same. And so there's a new kind of approach to this, which is since all emails are always basically the same, you know, they're all like the same modules. You'll have an image, you'll have a title, you'll have a CTA. Sometimes you'll have two CTAs. Sometimes you'll have a little bit of a, I don't know, a nice gallery or a little bit of a shopping kind of section. They're always, the elements themselves are always the same. So what we see people do now is come up with email design systems, which is how do we break this down in components that we can use and reuse to make things faster and accelerate the process. And coincidentally, because nobody ever has one good idea in isolation and everybody seems to have the same good idea at the same time, that's what we've been working on with my associate, Kaisa. It's a solution that's really dedicated to Braze, which is a very specific tool and really leverages their content blocks feature. So what we did is we broke down emails in like teeny tiny building blocks that you can then just, you know, copy and paste and just add and reuse very, very fast when you're in there. So that's been a really interesting adventure. No, that's really interesting. And I guess the cool thing about that is that you can also be able to apply that to other platforms as well, like Klaviyo or MailChimp or... Ideally, that's the long-term blue sky plan to hopefully be able to roll out that as a solution elsewhere. Right now, we're focusing on the one because there's obviously a lot of little kinks to iron out. No, that's really interesting. And I'm assuming the reason why you're working on something like these email design systems, which I've never even heard the term before, which when I saw, I was like, I'm very interested to know what that's about. Because also, I'm not really in email marketing or things like that. So I'm always curious about learning new things. But I'm sure that the whole target of your entire thing is understanding the life cycle of the customer, targeting them at the right time with the right message, all those kinds of things. So when thinking about the whole customer lifecycle side of things, why is that so effective? Like what's the secret sauce behind lifestyle market? Like what does that word or that term really mean when you're working with your customers? So lifecycle marketing is exactly what you just said. It is making sure that you reach out at the right moment to the right people with the right message. It's a very young kind of discipline. And I think it's going to evolve tremendously in the next few years. I think it all started, I don't know if you remember when we had mailboxes, like actual mail, physical mailboxes, yeah. <laughs> and we get like advertising. I don't know the word in English for that, but in French, we call them toutes boîtes, which literally means all boxes. So there were those printout ads that companies would just pay people to just like, it's direct mail. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Like the inserts that you would get in your... <laughs> exactly. And they would just put them in all the boxes, really. It's like toutes boîtes. 
And I think that's how we started out with email marketing specifically and with push marketing and with any kind of business of like contacting people. We just would send one message to everyone. And it used to work because there was very little noise. But very quickly, we got to a situation where just as our toolbox, so all boxes, direct mail, there was just too much of it. And so the noise starts and it starts feeling like spam. And so we realized that something had to give and we had to evolve. That coincidentally happened at the same time as the whole GDPR pull-up in Europe. Mm. And that was a big thing around here. You couldn't just go and like contact whomever if they hadn't said that they wanted to hear from you, basically, right? And so I think that was kind of the fertile little ground that was needed for Lifecycle to start emerging and the idea that we should bring it back to the user. You know, like any good product, we should start with what the user needs really what they want what's the value that you're bringing to them and then the pandemic happened and business moved online and email marketing got like and, and again i'm saying email marketing but really life cycle and push and any kind of outreach to customers just all of a sudden took another big kind of wave like all of a sudden it was a big big confidence for business it was like everybody started doing email again you know everybody had said oh email is dead email is dead and so all of these things led us to what we currently call lifecycle marketing where we first we start with the value and we say okay i want to reach out to my audience what value can i bring them how can i make their day easier brighter funnier what have you and then in the process of that, like by sending that to them, I'll start building a relationship with them and they'll start liking my brand more and more. And then we have those kind of almost conversations. It's relatively unidirectional, I guess, but we were building those relations. And I think that's why it's really effective. It's because people who do lifecycle marketing really well, they care about their users and they care about the value they bring them. And I think when you're on the receiving end of that, you can tell. A hundred percent. Even as you were talking about this, I think about some of my favorite brands and I've definitely mentioned them on the show before because they always come to mind since they understand me so well that I'm like, oh, I love this brand. This is just great. And actually I was just on Instagram yesterday and I had seen one of my friends post about Away Luggage. I'm not sure if you know the brand, but they're wonderful apparently. And it's so interesting because she was just posting out of pure care and love for the brand, honestly, because she was basically saying that it wasn't her fault and it wasn't the brand's fault, but in transit, a piece of the suitcase came off and she emailed them a picture. And within the same day, a new piece of luggage was waiting at her house for her. And she was saying that something about like the fact that they could do something as instant as that as being as big of a company as they are is just impeccable, really, because the fact is, if they can understand the customer so well and knowing that someone cares that much about their luggage. She takes this thing everywhere. And obviously people really care about their luggage. They like aesthetically nice things, pleasing things, all that kind of stuff. But it was a really great example. And now I'm thinking to myself, if I'm ever going to buy new luggage, I'm probably going to look at away because of how wonderful her experience was. But the thing is that kind of speaks to what you're saying is they understand the user because the traditional company would be like, whatever, it's not our fault that it got hurt in transit. It just happened because of being in transport and that's what happens to suitcases, but they put it in the customer's hands and actually dealt with it in a really exceptional way. It's crazy the impact you can have if you manage to make every single one of your millions of customers feel special, like they're individuals rather than one of the millions of people that are in your user base, basically, that you're getting in touch. And that's what personalization is all about, really. And that's why we've been talking about it so much. And I know that 
in a lot of conversations, it sort of stops as, oh, we're going to put a first name and we're going to add a bit of data and it's going to look yeah. like... <laughs> But personalization is about everything. Like it's everything. It's about maybe we send you emails on Tuesday mornings because we know that that's the moment you're actually available. Maybe that's something you've told us because we've asked at some point, you know, when do you want us to send you this? Personalization is about how many messages you actually get. Maybe you're a person who really, really doesn't like email, but like push. And, you know, maybe we've asked you that. And like, would you rather receive push notifications from us? Just everything that can contribute to make your experience unique. And it's interesting that you say that. So one of my good friends, she's an entrepreneur and she was thinking of another side hustle or side gig to start because she really enjoys the whole art of journaling, meditation, self-reflection, all this kind of stuff. And I too really enjoy that. So she was saying, would you be interested in this kind of app? And I was like, yes, I love it. I love the idea of daily reflection, but I find it really hard to figure out what on earth I want to reflect about. So having some sort of prompt in an audio form would be really interesting. Anyways, as she started designing this app that she was working on, she asked a bunch of people, like, what would be the best use case of this? And it was interesting because she found that people did not want to be emailed the daily prompt because email was known as an anxiety-inducing thing because it's (laughs) work-related. So they didn't want emails about meditation and journaling coming into their email because that signaled to them that they have to check their email, they have to get work done, they're missing out on emails, this, that, whatever. But... They wanted updates about the company and the app through email. So then they were saying, we want to learn about the company through email, but we don't want the actual exercise to be on email because they were just testing it out like an MVP stage, just doing the most minimum viable thing that they could do to see if this idea was worth it or not. But it was really interesting because I myself, I was like, give me everything in email. It's so easy for me to track it and see everything. And also it's nice to get that email every morning and saying like, here's your reflection for the day. So it's obviously very important because I can make or break her entire success of her app. (laughs) Definitely. It's crazy the thing you learn when you actually talk to your users. That's an interesting thing though, about emails inducing anxiety. I think, (laughs) you know, one thing that's kind of around the corner for us as we all grow and evolve when it comes to lifecycle marketing is the fact that Gen Z don't seem to like emails. That's something I've learned at Depop because yes. that's where, you know, Gen Z don't seem to like email very much, which means that we have to figure out different ways to get in touch, better ways to get in touch. And I think it keeps things really fresh, if that makes sense. I think when you look at lifecycle marketing as a discipline, we came from, you know, sending direct email, that's like our ancestor, to sending mass emails, to better times, to building full-on ecosystems between push and email and making sure that we don't send the same message with both mediums unless we've been asked, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, you know, looking to the future, I can see that, you know, we call it lifecycle marketing, but it probably should be in between product and marketing, really, because the purpose of the function is to onboard users and to retain them and to re-engage them when they churn. So basically to walk along them in the life cycle of using your product it almost would make sense that you get teams that actually work on features if you have an app, for example. So I can see this evolving slowly, slowly and becoming either part of the product teams or somewhere in between. Yeah, I think it really will be that blend, as you're saying. But what are some other best practices or best strategies that you go about doing to design and implement those effective user journeys? So I think you said it, the user journey. You'd be surprised how many places don't start by drawing the user journey and start by drawing and saying, okay, I have a visitor on my website. And then what do they do? And then maybe they create an account. And then what do they do? And then what's that 
sort of where's the aha moment? Where's that moment where I know I've convinced them because that's where I want to get my new starters. And then what's the point at which they're ready to purchase, for example? What are the data points that I can link towards that? Do they need to have visited my app a certain amount of times? Do they need to put something in a basket? Would liking something on my app be enough? And once you've sort of physically like drawn the user journey and the different points and milestones, if that makes sense, then what I usually do is I start quantifying the drop-offs and saying, okay, how many people actually go through that funnel, that critical path, ideal path, and how many get lost on the way? And that's when you start highlighting where are the first places you should actually place a touch point and you should get back in touch because you know that a lot of people add things to the basket but never convert. That's why we have a lot of abandoned cart emails. You know, that's how it happens. You know that a lot of people download your app and maybe sign up, create an account, but then never take their first steps. That's why we have onboarding. So I think there's probably no revolutionary lifecycle campaign left to invent. What I would say is draw your user journey, understand what is the best path that users should take, and then have a look at where they get lost. And that's when you want to re-engage them. And that's when you want to target them with something that's smart and timely and what have you. So how do you determine that right timing in the messaging at each point throughout that journey? Like what's a indicator? Because I feel like a question like this is a burning question in my head since I feel like there's no one specific answer for it, but there must be some sort of benchmark or there must be some sort of thing that can help guide someone because I feel like it is kind of abstract. Even mapping out the user journey, I know for my own business on the side, you do it, but then you're just like, okay, what on earth do I do with this now? How on earth do I know how to take this next step? I have no idea. So do you have any like determinants of the right timing and messaging for each of these touch points on the journey? So if you're looking at timing specifically, and I know it's not the answer you want to hear, but the answer is you know, test and experiment. <laughs> we do that a lot. It's heinous. I know what I would say is let's take the example of the abandoned cart because that's such an easy one. A lot of users just go in and flip through your app and they add tons of things to the basket. So they just add one thing to the basket, but they never quite convert. What's the right time frame to hit them up? You could start by hitting them up an hour after versus the next day. And that already gives you or should give you a little bit of, a, of an overview of either there's no difference, which means that maybe the window is a longer period of time, or you can already see a difference between the one hour versus 24. So experiment and experiment some more and then find a sweet spot. The only thing I would say is... I always try and keep Pareto rules in mind that, you know, 80% of your results will be obtained within the, I don't know, 20% by far. That's something like that, right? There is a point where you should stop trying to optimize. Like once you don't really see massive difference and massive significant results in between your test results, it's probably time to just leave it and say, okay, this is good enough. We're just going to move on to the next experiment. And I think it's also just important to quantify each and every experiment that you do so that you can say, okay, if it hits this benchmark, then we know something about this piece of data that we're looking at versus not. Because sometimes I feel people do tend to do experiments just for the heck of doing them because everyone just says experiment, but then you need to actually quantify it so that you have some sort of next step considering the data that you were given. The way I like to design an experiment is to start, you were talking about it earlier with the MVP. What is the absolute minimum effort that I need to create this thing and to try and test that hypothesis? And then once I have that, either I make a difference 
and I see an uptick in the number of people who do convert and who do purchase from their cards, or I don't. And then that's a failed experiment. And it was a very basic level of effort. When I do define that MVP, I also define kind of the blue sky results. Mm. Like what is the absolute most brilliant version of this email, because we're talking about email, and that I can come up with. And then it's all about iterating to get to there. And then maybe there's a point in which you just stop iterations because you've got to a good enough kind of version. So it's past some sort of test that the iterations have done what they need to do. Exactly. And then with each iteration, you design it as a test and you just do your base version, your MVP versus version one. And then hopefully version one wins and then you iterate some more version one against version two. And that gets you to a point where you just try and be savvy with your resources and not spend months and months and months developing one absolutely massively shiningly beautiful piece of communication that just falls flat. Yeah. <laughs> that happens. It happens a lot. I can imagine it happens more than you think. But quickly, one of my last questions around this whole topic is obviously there's a huge rise of automation and AI in all these different marketing tools, all these different marketing strategies that you can use specifically what we're hearing about these days, which is the most hottest topic, which is chat GPT, of course. But what are your thoughts on how AI will impact the customer lifestyle marketing industry or topic? I hope that it makes us smarter without us having to do more effort. So obviously I've followed ChatGPT and and the incredible, like I've, I've got screenshots all over my social media. It's a takeover, right? Yeah. But I think where it gets really interesting is to build models that will estimate either, you know, what are the right things to recommend to you next based on what you've bought before, what you've looked at, maybe when it's the right time to contact you and just automate all of these aspects of what we do so we can actually focus on building great campaigns. I mean, we can imagine a world where ChatGPT just takes over entire CRM marketing teams. I feel, and I'm going to sound my age right now, but I feel like that would probably not be the best thing because over the past five to 10 years, we've been trying to make lifecycle more human and it would take very good AI to keep the ball running. And I think that's a good point, honestly, because obviously technology enables us to do a lot of things, but sometimes things still have to stay human. And there's such a beauty in the human interaction that technology cannot replace in some of those areas. But at least you can use AI for enabling other processes or automating other processes so you can focus on the human interaction, which is nice. But I'm always curious about those questions because everyone always has an interesting take on it, which I enjoy. But we're going to move on to the very last section of the show, which is lightning round. So this is just a chance to learn more about you and just some interesting questions. So it's going to be really quick. I have three questions for you. So first one is, who is one brand that you'd love to pitch a campaign to and why? Oh my God, there's a brand called Who Gives a Crap? They make toilet paper. They're <laughs> I do know that. All of their emails, like just subscribe for the sake of it. They're brilliant. They actually did a try on the whole AI thing and like they created chat TP. <laughs> and a message that was a, I love them. You know, arguably a production of AI. It was really good. Awesome. Okay. Who is one person not from the marketing world that you'd say has mastered the art of marketing? This could be an artist, an athlete, an actor, anyone. Am I going to get judged if I say <laughs> Rihanna? No, I think everybody's talking about Rihanna right now. Exactly. So think about it. Like she posted that 
picture of the bull for the Super Bowl. She posted that and everybody went crazy. I was like, oh my God, Rihanna is back to singing. And everybody said, she's going to soft launch her next album because we've been waiting for her music, right? Everybody was like so excited. And then she came on and gave that crazy performance actually like whipped out some of our Fenty products in yes. during the performance. I don't know if you've seen it. It was, oh, incredible. It was about, like we did a bit of her makeup and basically soft launched her next child. Yeah. I was going to say she soft launched her baby. <laughs> exactly. And like everyone is talking about it. And then just on the back of that, that Vogue cover, which was quite admittedly quite something as well. And everybody's talking about her. And I just, that's kind of what marketing's about at the end of the day, right? Having people talk about you. So Rihanna, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Okay, last but not least, are you a Microsoft or Apple person and why? Oh my God, I'm an Apple person because I am now captive of their environment. I have Me too. my first <laughs> MacBook eons ago. That is not true. My parents purchased my first MacBook for my, uh, when I was a uni student. I was very lucky and I stayed. I got an iPhone and now I've got an iPad and I've got an iWatch and I'm just, I'm stuck. Okay. Last but not least is our closing question. So is there a piece of marketing or life advice that someone shared with you once that has always stayed with you? There's something that comes to mind, but I have no idea who said that to me. It might have been from a movie. And it's the fact that the only constant in life is that everything changes all the time. And like the faster you get used to that fact and get comfortable with it, the better your life will be. Because it's just, it, that's what it is. It just changes month after month after month. And just like with the customer lifestyle marketing and marketing in general, things are changing. It's so if anyone up. takes away anything from this episode, it's stay alert. <laughs> Keep up with the changes. Experiment, experiment, experiment. <laughs> exactly. Then stop at some point. Don't over-experiment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Get your resources, people. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show, Alyssa. It was honestly a pleasure to have you and so interesting to hear all your insights and also wishing you a lot of luck with your consulting firm. I'm sure you'll see a lot of success in the coming years. Thank you so much for having me. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to Gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.